Let me begin again. Today marks the first Sunday of Lent. Last week on Ash Wednesday, we came together. We, we received our ashes, symbolizing our repentance, our frailty, our mortality. We confessed our sins and entered into this season of prayer and fasting as we remember that our Lord Jesus is making his way to the cross. And our text for today is our Lord's temptation. We're jumping back a little bit for those of us who have been going through the book of Luke together. And Luke has us in the desert right after Jesus was baptized. So it's on the back of your order of service there. It's also in your Bibles in Luke chapter 4. Because this is an important story that Luke gives us. Because really, we're seeing one of our essential understandings of faith on display. Specifically that Jesus is fully God and fully man. See, Jesus must be fully man, fully God. 100% God, 100% man. No 50-50, no sometimes God, sometimes man. No picking when he wants to be one or the other. He is 100% both. Now, you may be asking yourself, how and why? Well, the how is because the Bible tells us so. The Bible lets us know that he was born of Mary, and yet he was God's son. It doesn't tell us how is that this is some science or some logic thing. It's a faith thing. See, we believe it because we are bound to believe what the Word tells us. And that's a good thing. Because being bound to the Word doesn't leave opportunities for human opinion. Doesn't give us opportunities to be like, well, you know, I really like this part, but I don't actually like this part. So this part is real, but this part is kind of figurative. No, we are bound to the Word because what it says, it says. And because of that, we know that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And the reason it has to be, the why, is because Jesus must be fully man so that he can fulfill the law that we could not. And he must be fully God because man cannot do that. See, by being a man, he lives under the law. By being God, his death now fulfills the righteousness that we ourselves cannot have. His death is the perfect sacrifice. He truly becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And today, as we see that he is fully man, we'll see that just like a child of Adam, he's going to be tempted, just as Adam was, just as each one of us is as well. Now, the name devil here is translated as slanderer in some places. It comes from that Hebrew word meaning Satan, meaning adversary. And our text is going to tell us that devil, Satan, is the chief adversary. He is the fallen angel that Jesus is going to refer to in Luke chapter 10. And throughout scripture, the devil is called different things, like ancient serpent. He's called a roaring lion, and he's also called Satan. Now, this here in chapter 4 is the first time in Luke's gospel that we get to hear or see the devil, but it will not be the last. For those of you who like to put down notes, you can find the devil in chapters 8, 10, 11, 13, and especially in chapter 22, where the scriptures tell us that Satan enters Judas, the betrayer, at the Last Supper. Now, as we look at Jesus' temptation, I think it is worth mentioning here that this temptation is very similar to two other temptations in the Bible. Adam and Eve's, and also Israel's as they are journeying through the wilderness. Yet you will see that it is Jesus alone who is without sin and does not fall in temptation. Because Israel, well, they failed the test. See, in Exodus, they're undergoing these same temptations that Jesus is going to go under. And in response to those three temptations, 
Well, they give in to their cravings of food, and they demand for it in Exodus chapter 16. They also forget their God, and they end up worshiping idols in Exodus 32. And they, of course, test God throughout, but especially in Exodus 17 with water and the rock. And if we go back further again to Adam and Eve, their temptation concerns these very same things. The instant gratification. The desire for power and riches of being like God and for pride. You'll remember, of course, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her. And he ate too. But our story today will be different. Jesus, who has come for our redemption, will be tested in the same way of everyone before him. Yet he will be the high priest who not only empathizes with our weakness, but has been tested in every way, yet is without sin. So let's dive into the text. For those of you following along, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Are you kidding me? There's got to be something different. Now the... Are you trying to... Yeah. I've turned it off, bro, so it can't be me. The first temptation is to command the stone to become bread. What's being addressed here is Jesus' physical need for food. And in a much deeper way, it's really addressing his identity as the Son of God. The real question here is, will Jesus use his divine sonship to serve his own needs or those of others? Sobering to ask ourselves the same question. Would we use our status, our role, our gifts to serve our own needs or those of others? When given the choice, do we look out for ourselves first? Do we care more about our own physical needs and desires, and are we prioritizing our days around our meals, our comfort? Jesus' mission is clearly directed towards others. You remember that Luke captures Jesus reading from the book of Isaiah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And we will go on to see that it is Jesus who satisfies those who hunger. It is Jesus who will multiply the bread so that all can eat till they are full. And it is he himself, Jesus, who will become the bread. Because here at the table, withholding nothing, Jesus gives everything. Forgiveness, salvation, strength. And so I love the response that he gives to Satan when he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, which is a callback to, for the Jews at the time, for that manna in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8, 3, it says this, the Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Living on the word of God alone, the word that comes from the very mouth of God, implying that we are close enough to God to hear him speak with our own ears, to be in his presence. Don't miss that. 
Because it's hard to remember that God is near to us, that God is with us when everything going on around seems to say differently. But it is God with his own very words who has promised us the Holy Spirit to be with us and near to us always, even to the end of the age. Jesus here is telling us that there is something more important than just physical comforts. In fact, that's why we do this during Lent. The focus becomes on self-discipline, on fasting, on withholding ourselves. Out of love for the Lord, we give up something. It's why, we, it's why we also give, because we have come to believe that we live on more than just money alone. We live on more than just seeking the pleasures of life alone. And it is why we have come to believe that we must pray, we must cling to God's word, because we have hope that there is more than just what we have in front of us. Failing, Satan tries again. The neck temptation says the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Devil tempts Jesus with a vision of all the kingdoms of the world whose power, riches, and glory he promises to give on the condition that Jesus will worship him. This is asking the question, what do you really want? Glory, riches, power. You see why the offering is not considered something that is separate from the service, but is an act of worship. Because there is no power in giving away your wealth. Now, in regard to this temptation from the devil here, there's two things we got to remember. First, these kingdoms, their authority is not Satan's to give away, no matter what the slanderer, the liar, says. And as for the second, well, you know the story. Jesus will indeed receive power, glory, and more, but never from the devil, from God the Father. And because of it and his death on the cross, Jesus' kingdom, his glory, his authority, his splendor will have no end. But it does not come through this. It comes through a cross because in truth, this temptation is nothing but a shortcut, a shortcut to glory without the cross. Now, as a semi-professional Mario Kart racer, I love shortcuts and I am guilty of looking to do and find the minimum in very many things. Maybe you are too. Guilty of wanting to skip the suffering, skip the hard work. Guilty of just wanting the reward, the fast food grace, the instant gratification, whatever you want to call it. The truth is, friends, this is an epidemic, a lust for power, riches, and glory. Just pick up your phone and scroll, and you will see that we live in this valley of death that is posing as greatness, posing and promising us glory and even more. And so we see here the importance of self-discipline, the importance of giving, the importance of knowing whose voice we are listening to. That's why we have to have daily reading of the word, daily time in prayer, because God does not finish with you or make you complete in one day. And that is hard because it is a lifetime. It is a journey of time and experience with God. Friends, there are no shortcuts. 
There is simply picking up your cross and following him every single day. That's not to say that there's only going to be suffering. It's just to say that bearing our crosses and following him will change our perspective, our focus, and our purpose. Because he has already given us the ultimate result, the promise of eternal life that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we get to practice and live out that salvation for the remainder of our days, as, as, uh, as Paul says in Romans, to offer your very life as a living sacrifice. That's what it means to worship, to offer everything. Jesus answers, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is a straightforward response. Coming out of Deuteronomy 6, which says this, maybe you've heard it before, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them. as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Put reminders up everywhere. Because as creatures of habit who so easily forget, who so easily get distracted, who so easily are prone to sin and wander, who find it so hard to believe even after all the good we've experienced, we still find a way to forget to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And that's part of being human, right? That it's hard to love and trust in sickness. It's hard to love and trust in God when we see our loved ones suffering. Hard to keep trusting when it doesn't improve. And it's certainly hard to love our God, to trust in Him when the ways of splendor and glory that come through shortcuts are way better than suffering and waiting. Maybe you found yourself here lately, your heart so tangled in the lies of the evil one that are so easy to hear and the pain that we have had to endure because we live in a broken world. And when it comes to our relationship with God, find ourselves with nothing but questions and doubt. Some moments like that that I, I feel like I need a Jacob moment, you know? We are wrestling with God when you're going through it and then he touches you and you never walk the same. What do you think you need in the face of the temptations that you're going through? You might think that's a loaded question because maybe it's who do you think you need? And the answer is always simple. But it's also very real. Because in the midst of temptation or failure or just this everyday living, when we listen to the voice, we find this. Since we have a great high priest from Hebrews 4 who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We will walk into the light of God's throne, past all the shame, past the guilt, past the fear that the evil one would use to keep us hiding in the darkness. And God has promised to give us mercy and grace in our time of need. And that, friends, that is what we need. More than power, more than grace, more more than strength, more than clarity, we need mercy and grace that is found in Jesus. We need that hand that's going to reach down into the water through the waves and pull us right to his own heart, to himself. And in response to that, to mercy and grace alone, what else is worth worshiping? This is all that we have, all that we need. Because the final temptation comes, the devil, as I'm, as I'm stand on the highest point, says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil's trying to pull a little sneaky here on Jesus and quoting scripture to him. Quick side note, no, this is why we don't take verses out of context and use it for our own benefit. Because with your permission, I will finish the rest of the text that Satan, the ancient serpent, the roaring lion, forgets to read. It goes a little bit like this. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The great lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now we could spend an entire day here and that would be very good. Because ironically we see a lot of what we've already talked about that God is with us, that God loves us, that God will deliver us, that God has promised us life. Not this short life that we live as humans, but the eternal life with Him. Because it is clear that we have time and experiences in the Word and prayer with our Lord Jesus so that when these moments come, we have His Word. We must cling to it, hold it, Have it. It is an essential discipline of following Jesus, being in the Word and being in prayer. That's not an option. We need it. We must have it. Jesus has nothing to prove to the devil. Doesn't try to correct him. Doesn't point out his mistakes. Doesn't even make fun of him. He says this, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished He left him until an opportune time. The final temptation is over quickly. He doesn't give in and the devil flees. You know, Scripture tells us that we can do that too. That when Satan comes to remind us of our sin, to make us feel guilty, when he tells us, you haven't done enough, you aren't good enough, when our hearts become anxious, We must respond quickly and potently just like Jesus and simply say, my sin, my deeds, good or bad, matter not. What matters is Jesus. My trust is in him. My soul belongs to him. 
take your temptations, take your badgering, take your guilt, and go away from me. That is the power promised to us that James says, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Turn the temptations and the battles of life over to Jesus. You want to know why we can do that? Because, friends, it's over and done with. Jesus has won. It was done on the cross, and it was sealed when the tomb burst open, and he walked out. You and I are saved. It's why we have gone to the fount to receive what we ourselves could not do. And it is why we will, one by one, come to the table to receive what we could never earn. I think I'd like the band to come back up now. And I'll close with this. The Apostle John, who was with Jesus, touched him, saw him, experienced life with him, warns us in his letter against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's just the same temptations over and over again. And so throughout this week, as you examine your life, compare the things that you are going through, the temptations that you are experiencing to these three. Because it is time to respond to temptation by trying to follow what Jesus did and what Jesus said. The ways of self-discipline, of giving, and of prayer. And God willing, friends, we are going to resist and fight. And when we lose and we give in to temptation, we're going to get up and fight again. Because the Father does not stop tending to us. He keeps working that soil, this barren dust that we are, and keeps pouring His love, His mercy, His forgiveness onto us, reminding us that we belong to Him. For this much is certain. The response, the answer for the sin that we have committed and for all the lack of temptations that we don't pass is answered not by what we have done, but by what Jesus has done. Your life will be answered by what Jesus has done for you, given you. The same Jesus who calls you His child, who calls you His own. So before we come to His table, before we receive the strength, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace. Let's stand together. Let us sing and let us cry out to our Lord.